This is episode number 44, and you just started a trip down the rabbit hole. And this week, we have a very, very interesting topic. I'm sure you are going to like it, and it's called Cognitive Bias. And like always, Carl Baldwin is with me, and he's starting to get ready for the news of the week. So without delay, here we go with the show. And now for the news, we start with... Ah, okay, we're starting with something that sounds rather foolish to me, drilling into the heart of a volcano. Mm-hmm. Now, the plucky individuals who've decided to do this uh, are in Iceland, and of course Iceland has a big uh, geothermal energy industry, and yeah. uh, they're thinking that if they can tap down into... Uh, a volcano, um, I think the Caldea, not the, the, where the lava is held in a chamber, mm-hmm. you know, before it erupts, that uh, the temperatures are such that it will give them a huge boost to, like, energy production. And they've currently drilled down over four and a half thousand metres. Um, yeah. And the recorded temperatures at the bottom at the moment are... 427C, but they think that will get hotter as they uh, work on the um, as they work on the hole. So, uh, very interesting project, and uh, I've not seen any disaster movies that start with people <laughs> drilling holes into volcanoes. So we don't True. need to worry, right? Yeah. So that's the first one. And our next news: mm. Galactic X-rays yes. could point to dark matter proof. We love all those words. Yeah. Well, who know? Who mm. don't? <laughs> and a small but very distinctive signal in X-rays mm-hmm. uh, coming from the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, scientists says that could be the key to providing the existence of dark matter. Wow. And uh, they found more mm. X-ray photons with a particular energy. Uh, than would be expected if they were produced only by familiar processes. Like normal matter, visible exactly. matter. Right? So those photons could in fact have been generated by the decay of dark matter particles. Oh. And this is not the first time the scientists have seen those extra photons, right. uh, photons with an energy about uh, 3,500 electron volts mm. in the spectra recorded by the X-ray satellites. Right. So it was to be interesting if they... It, well, obviously, they're scrabbling around at the moment mm-hmm. to, for any kind of stuff that supports this yeah. dark matter theory, aren't they? Which is not proven. No. It's, it is a theory. Right? Yeah. So, and we can't see it, which makes it worse. Exactly. Uh, am I next? Next. Okay, the next one um, is the news that um, the UK's Antarctic um, um, base which is called Haley, is being moved. And the reason why it's being moved is because it is sighted on a lump of ice <laughs> that, is, that is actually floating called the Brunt Ice Shelf. And uh, the problem was it was in danger of effectively being... Being, being wrecked because yeah. there's a, a crack has formed in the uh, the ice shelf, and it could the, just flow away, float well, away. I've seen photographs of it, and then you can see the crack, and then you can see the Haley base is like very close to it. So what they've done is they've uh, the the fisheries uh, the crack is currently uh, 17 kilometers from Haley, but it, that's not 
bar. That's really. not far, really. I mean, yeah, it yeah. would keep me awake at night. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and uh, this crack is getting bigger by the minute. And what they've decided to do, and fortunately, the Haley base was made, was designed to be relocated. Exactly. They've actually jacked it up on its feet or whatever it is. And they are, I think they've actually done it. They've dragged it to a new location. Yes. So the base has a, a hydraulic leg and ski system. Anybody who's ever seen the 60s um, children's series Thunderbirds knows exactly yeah. what we're talking about here. And I'm sure that's where they got it from. Um, and anyway, they've uh, jacked it up onto its skis and they've towed it out of danger. And now it's safely. It's now safe until the next crack comes along, <laughs> <laughs> as the entire Antarctic melts, right? Yeah. So what have you got for us next? And our next news. Uh, it's a very interesting title. Yeah, I like Could these. your robot go to work instead of you? Yeah. And this brings a lot of uh, um, controversy related yeah. to AI. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know... The thing is that humans have to get out of bed. They have to do a lot of stuff to get mm. ready, while robots would be fully ready Although to what, be there. Although what this is really about is, is this telepresent, remote exactly presence stuff, right? a kind of a remote control robot yeah. with a screen with your face yeah. that you can move around the office yeah. and you from can talk to stay people. at home. And the, this company, this Californian company, Beam, uh-huh. Uh, they actually have a shop. There's a picture of it actually in the notes. Uh-huh. Uh, that that is their shop, and there are no shop assistants. That's what no. They, they are from home, moving around. That's right. Um, and the shop assistant. There was a movie like this. Uh, I don't recall right now exactly the movie. If you remember the movie that I'm talking about, really? that's something like this: screens with wheels. Please let us know. I don't remember if it was what it like called? Dread or one of those movies futuristic where. Uh, somebody, uh, what was the name of the other one with uh, Dennis Rothman, I think was, or no, uh, Wesley Snipes, oh. with this kind of curly blonde, yeah, blonde hair. hair. Yeah, that was Demolition Man. Demolition Man, yeah, with Sandra Bullock, I think. Yeah, right? Sandra Bullock, yeah. yeah one of those movies, I don't remember, one of those futuristic, yeah. they had something like this. Well, the interesting thing about this technology, for example, this shop, uh-huh. the shop assistants are actually... From many different countries. Yes. So they're actually working mm-hmm. in that shop and being paid, and but they're not in that country. There's another show where this kind of technology appeared. Right. In The Good Wife. In the series of The Good oh, Wife, right, right. in one of the episodes, one, one of the employees was sick, and they assigned this kind of thing so she could work from right. home. I mean... Appeared briefly, but it was there. I think we've probably seen them in one or two kind of yes. TV programs. One last interesting point is that um, these are now being um, prototyped with arms so that they can actually open doors. Yeah, that's more... So it's not like the Dalek thing where, you know, (laughs) the way to defeat a Dalek invasion is just to go upstairs. Upstairs, yeah, they cannot climb. They're stumped by that, right? Maybe Uh, they could just destroy the house, but... Oh, yeah, so crude though, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but these uh, remote presence things are going to have arms and they'll be able to... So you can't just shut your office door and go, well, that's sorted no. that out. They will be coming <laughs> through the door, right? Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, this uh, next one is... Our last one, yeah. Interesting. Which is the Uber, um, that well-known um, kind of 
inverted commas, taxi company, yeah. uh, crowdsourced taxiing, shall we say, they have hired a former NASA engineer who is going to lead up Uber research into flying cars. Yeah. The guy's called Mark Moore, and he's joining Uber's Elevate division as its director of engineering for aviation. So the idea is to develop and produce a vertical takeoff or landing uh, ecosystem, taxi ecosystem, I suppose. It's yeah. it's travel on demand. Mm-hmm. And effectively, the, there won't be a driver. It will be fully automated. And um, I, if I worked for Uber, I would be worried about a company that is investing heavily in technology to replace me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, Uber are also heavily invested yeah. in self-driving cars. Well, there was a declaration of Elon Musk uh, recently about this. Yeah. That uh, I believe anything he says. AI and this kind of uh, replacing uh, humans mm-hmm. with uh, AI or robots mm. uh, will actually lead for governments uh, implementing universal income. I totally agree with that because we've yeah. discussed this before, haven't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, and uh, this whole thing no, of, we did before him. <laughs> we were there before him. You're right. He probably listened to our podcast. Probably. Those yeah. guys are smart. Right? Yeah. If, if you're Elon Musk and is listening, yes, yeah. give us a shout. Yeah, I would accept a ride on one of your rockets as payment <laughs> without a, no problem whatsoever. Anyway, the thing about the this whole thing about AI and robotics and all this stuff, I think I was telling you last week that there was a, a, a company, there was a company in the UK, a research company, said that by 2030 something like one-third of jobs in the United Kingdom economy will be under severe threat from AI or robotic uh, kind of takeover, shall we say, Yeah. want of a better word. Um, but we've discussed, haven't we, that if this occurs, uh, we'll be looking at effectively mass unemployment, mm-hmm. and there will have to be a rewriting of what is called the social contract exactly. between the citizen and the government, Mm -hmm. and I think that will trigger a whole new debate about immigration, won't it? Completely. Because nobody will want immigration, Mm -hmm. because they've got nothing for them to do. Exactly. So it's going to, next 50 years is going to be very interesting. Yeah. For you, I won't be here, obviously, but (laughs) anyway, so that's that's the news for this week. Those are the news. And now we reach our main topic. Yes, very interesting. Yeah, episode 44, and we're talking about cognitive bias. Yes. So, it's interesting, this one. It is interesting, and no doubt will come up in uh, how we talk about it, but Mm -hmm. uh, just for for the readers, Uh uh, what is cognitive bias? So, it basically refers to a, a pattern... Uh-huh. A systematic pattern of um, deviation from normal or rational judgment. And basically, uh, we tend to make uh, inferences about people and situations uh-huh. which, when you actually examine them closely, are not logical. Mm-hmm. And yet, somehow, 
we seem to think they're okay. We create our own yeah. reality. It's like an unconscious bias yeah. towards certain conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I actually read many, many years ago a kind of a nice analogy, which is that if you had a a, a calculator, like a handheld calculator yeah. or something, and there was something wrong with it, and basically what you didn't know was when you were doing your calculations that the number three button was actually held down permanently so that every calculation you did was incorrect because of this number three number being introduced, which you weren't aware of. Uh So you would do what you thought were your logical calculations, but they were always wrong. Mm -hmm. But you had no way of knowing it was wrong. So this is a bit like what cognitive bias is. So people individuals create what's called a subjective social Social reality reality. from what they take in and then how they think about it. Now, there's been a lot of research into this by uh, psychologists, social psychologists, and I think I'm right in that they've identified something like a hundred and something Something. cognitive biases. Now, one of the things about cognitive biases strangely, is that we can't agree on a common set of names for them. There's a lot of names for similar things. So they have each cognitive... We're going to use a set of names, but there are other names. Mm -hmm. And at the end of uh, this segment, we'll recommend a book, which I'm currently reading, which is... I think it's a very nice book, but that could just be one of the biases at work here. Yeah. Uh, But... We're going to cover a few of the biases. Yeah, uh, some of them. From the most common, right? Yeah, most common of all. And we start actually with confirmation bias. Yes, which is also known as? As cognitive dissonance yes. in social psychology. So this is an interesting one, isn't it? Yes, um, because uh, we always like when people agree with us. Yeah. And we always dislike and feel uncomfortable when they don't. Therefore, we start to create our own reference. In fact, we disregard we what disregard, they're saying exactly. when they don't agree. So, uh, this is uh, very interesting. That's why, for example, uh, there was a cartoon that you share, and we yeah. will share also in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, it's very true. Sometimes when you are already with this, mm. with uh, cognitive dissonance or so-called uh, uh, confirmation bias, yeah. when you make a research yeah. and you find your results in Google, for example, yeah. You most likely will go to the site that is going to confirm yeah. your beliefs. That reinforces what you will reinforce in. what you are thinking or uh, about it, yeah. and you will disregard exactly. any other results that go against yeah. or offers a that. different argument or exactly. And yeah. we are not feeling comfortable when somebody is disagreeing with us. Yeah, and it's an unconscious thing. Yes, right? but this is also what is sometimes being exploited. Mm. during uh, social engineering and hacking. Absolutely, and marketing, of course. Yes, because one of the steps being done is uh, agree with you all the time to get your side to believe, and then you automatically grant uh, trust into that person. And there is a wider uh, social phenomena that we're experiencing right now, Uh which is two things. One is this fake news thing that's oh, yeah. a big thing right mm-hmm. but that goes hand in hand with another i think a worrying development particularly um, in social media uh-huh. is that for example 
um, various surveys have shown that um, individuals in a certain age bracket, shall we say the younger age yeah. bracket, let us say 16 to 35, something like that, get the majority of their daily news input from the news functions of social media like Facebook, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Now, we all know that these social media platforms use uh, learning algorithms to um, to try and understand, like Amazon does, when you buy stuff, they're always saying other Suggesting people... products and other people bought this, this as well. And, and you go, ooh, brilliant, you know, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. And of course, they're always suggesting alternatives and the ads are obviously tailored to your previous purchases and I've no doubt they're trolling all kinds of information yeah. that you really would be shocked at if you mm-hmm. knew what they were doing. Now, here's the interesting... The, here's, I will get to my point. And my point is that uh, talking about news and our perception of what is important and what isn't, these social media news functions are basically only presenting people with news items expressing views that they already agree with. Exactly. So the thing is, when you had like traditional print media, uh, news media, or even online newspapers you just by looking at them will see different viewpoints from yours mm, yeah. and you might might change your mind at some point if you read enough of it mm-hmm. but if you get your news from these socially engineered locations you will never do that no this and it's the same worrying. what happens for example is um uh, uh with some kind of uh, late uh, tendencies about vaccines and these kind of things. Mm. People usually references articles and things from blogs that they found. Just <laughs> blogs. <laughs> yeah, I know. But they meet their views, their problems probably they have, yeah. and they justify something that in their lives yeah. uh, makes them, uh, how can we say, uh, agree to this is the problem. Yeah. They've tried to find a solution or comfort to their views. Yeah. It just makes them feel the better. things that right? fit yeah. their uh, their view. And of course, there was a very interesting example during the recent uh, US mm. presidential elections, which was that, uh, as we know, Donald Trump came out with this, uh-huh. uh, shall we say, uh, imaginative statement that uh, <laughs> something like three million people voted illegally, immigrants and all this oh, stuff, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Now, he was challenged on a some American news interview mm. where the interviewer said to him, um, there is absolutely no evidence that that is true. And Donald Trump said, yes, but you'll find that millions and millions of Americans agree with me, right? <laughs> and I read a very interesting quote, in fact, the book that we re- we're yeah. going to suggest at the end of this piece. Uh, in that book, there's a very interesting quote from a, a very famous kind of uh, social philosopher, writer, author, and he said... Um, just because um, just because 30 million people agree with something that's false doesn't make it not false, right? Exactly. That takes us actually to our second one. Right. Which is? In-group bias. Uh, ah, ah, very good. Yeah. You can start that one off. Well, it's, it's almost related. the same. It's related. It's related to that confirmation bias. Mm. But here in the Inger bias, 
it's about you get the influence from everybody else around you. Yeah. They have exactly the same tendencies as you. Yeah. In other words, you surround yourself with people like, like you. you. Right? Exactly. This is what we do, right? Uh-huh. And it's the same in employment, right? People mm-hmm. tend to employ people who are like them. Uh-huh. They don't do it consciously, it's unconscious. Right? Sometimes it might be conscious. <laughs> Might be. Yeah, some good points. Anyway, carry on with your... um... Yes, well, they have um, uh, actually uh, found that, strangely, uh, this effect of the anger bias have to do with uh, oxytocin. The love molecule. The love molecule, yeah. (laughs) I'm glad I got to say that. So, the neurotransmitter, uh, while... Helping us to, you know, forge the tighter bonds with people in, yeah. in the same group. Well, it, well, it has a uh, it has a Darwinian function, doesn't it? Yes, it's a survival thing, and makes right? the the opposite with groups we don't like. Yeah, yeah. Help us fight it off. Yeah. disregard them. Yeah. yeah. So basically, you overestimate or exactly. oh, you have a tendency to believe the people in your group exactly. and disbelieve people you perceive to be outside. Outside. Yeah. Which we have seen that uh, many times, many times, many times. So around the world, that is very interesting. And this, well, it's a tribal thing, isn't it? Tri- exactly, tribal thinking. It's tribal, yeah, how can, yeah, thinking. Or it, it is tribal. It's groupthink. Uh-huh, right? uh-huh. Yeah, which also is related to some social psychology. Oh, you know, totally. when that's why people say that, for example, sometimes minorities can be more powerful than majorities. The, well, it's yes. a bit related to this because people are tighter. Would, right? would, they are tighter. Mm. They are stronger, mm. and therefore they have a bigger voice yeah. than actually the majority. A disproportionate voice, exactly. And in fact, again, we see examples of this in lobbying of governments. Uh-huh. You know, you know, you get this uh, these lobbying groups mm-hmm. where they're very, very focused on a thing, and obviously within them huge agreement and it amplifies their voice exactly and it's disproportionate to the Obviously. views of the the silent majority right uh-huh. exactly right? this is the thing uh-huh so what have we what have we got oh <laughs> the next <laughs> yeah, one i'm not a gambler i i've come across this one before so the the next one is the gambler's fallacy now it uses that word fallacy, but it is a kind of a bias. <laughs> it, it's a glitch in our uh-huh. thinking, which is uh, that we tend to link events that are not relatable. So I read an interesting one in, in the book that yeah. I'm reading at the moment. I keep plugging this, but I'm getting nothing for this book. It's just a good book. Um, and apparently there is a thing with gamblers on roulette tables that has been observed countless times which is if people want to roll a high number with the dice, they throw the dice harder, harder. than yeah. if they want a low number. Uh-huh. And I, clearly, I that, yeah. there is no relation. relation. It's just irrational. Mm-hmm. And yet people will insist on doing it because probably sometimes it works. Yeah. And that reinforces your idea that it works, and then you forget yeah. about all the times that it didn't work, right? Yeah. Practically, the odds is just 50-50. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> I mean, so of course it's going to happen sometimes. Yeah, and that reinforces your belief. Exactly. Right? And then you disregard ha- the times it, it doesn't. The problem is that if it happens at least once, yeah. it already reinforces your belief, and yeah. then it's going to stick. Yeah. 
And the, obviously the most common one is flipping coins, right? Ah, you know, yes. how, if, coin you, does. if you toss a coin and you get five heads in a row, people think somehow yeah. they're related, but the odds are exactly the same every time you flip the coin. But people just don't want uh-huh. to believe it, which is bizarre. Uh, yeah. yeah, these kind of things is the ones that they said they are like the f- wood or the fuel for the fire. Yeah, you know, people with gambling addiction, yeah. this kind of expectation of I have this amount of chances, blah blah blah. Irrational, irrational stuff. Uh, uh, starts to build up. Yeah, and provokes this addiction to always be gambling. And again, um, from my recent reading, this thing about gamblers. And that uh, if they have a run of run of bad luck, they say to themselves, "Eventually, my luck will turn; it will it's change." Change that actually, the only thing they can be sure of is that eventually their luck, their winning, will go back to pure chance, fifty-fifty. Yeah, because that's the mean. Right? Yeah, it's fifty-fifty. So literally, any streak that they're having is no different to tossing five heads in a row with a coin. Exactly. Eventually it's going to go, it will average out to half heads, half tails. Uh-huh. And yet people kid themselves that there's something else going on. So, yeah. what have we got next? Next. <laughs> this one is uh, interesting. <laughs> it's called post-purchase rationalization. Wow. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sometimes, one. you know, we go uh, shopping spree, going yeah. crazy, mm. and we buy things that are unnecessary. Right. Where you say, mm, that looks nice, I should buy that. Yeah, because... Because, blah, whatever, blah, blah. maybe sometimes group uh, bias. Yeah. yeah. Or, because or the wife, as we call it. <laughs> <laughs> so, or us ourselves are the ones, actually... <laughs> For, well, you just yeah. did that for balance, didn't you? It's unnecessary or overly expense, expensive. Yeah. And after that, you rationalize that, well, yeah. uh, how did I convince myself that actually yeah. that was a great idea? This is what we was, do, isn't it? Well, that's what I, we need. And <laughs> that post-purchase ras- rationalization in action, it's a built-in mechanism that we have to make us feel better. Yeah. After we make crappy decisions. Yes, because none of us like to be wrong. Right? No, so we try to find... A way to be right. A reason for yeah. it to be right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And I, I find that quite amusing that uh, <laughs> this thing is known as, also known as buyer's Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, and I think this is also related to another similar bias, which is apparently called sunk cost bias, which I've uh-huh. been reading about, which is, and the example given is, you're a, you're a couple and you go to the cinema to watch a movie, uh-huh. you're sat down watching the movie and 20 minutes into the movie, one of you turns to the other and says, this is rubbish, uh-huh. let's leave, right? And the other person says but we've already paid the money, let's at least watch it, right? <laughs> the correct thing to do is leave, right? Because uh-huh. because it, the fact that you've paid the money is irrelevant. It's exactly. rubbish, so you should leave. You've lost the money anyway, right? Yeah, you're trying to justify the fact that you are watching a yeah. crappy movie with the fact that you're paying the money yeah, for it. You've paid it, 
you've lost it. Yeah. So why carry on, right? Why? Exactly. And it's this thing of, I need to have made the right decision. I paid the money, so we'll watch it, because <laughs> that was the decision. And apparently this same sunk cost syndrome applies to relationships, and it uh-huh. applies to projects. So, for example... Oh, yeah. So, for example, you uh, set off on some project, some endeavour, uh-huh. and... Uh, or relationships, for example. Apparently, one of the common in therapy that comes up is, uh, I've put so much into the relationship, I don't want to get up now. Yeah. Whereas the correct thing to do is just head for the door. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. Anyway, I'm, I am yeah. digressing. So Then it comes to a very interesting one as well. Yeah, this is Neglecting probability. Yes. So... There is a problem. There is a. I was reading a, a very interesting example because it's very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost everybody mm. has no problem into jumping into a car, yeah. drive, going to the highway, go yeah. to another place, yeah. have a good time. Mm-hmm. But when it comes and you mention the fact that they are going to fly, people get scared. Yeah. What if the flight comes down? What if it crashes? But Come on. The relative safety factor exactly. is huge. It's huge because you have more chances of dying in a car crash yeah. than the plane falling down and die. Yeah. So your uh, chances are right? com- completely different, but flying mm. is not kind of a normal thing to be seen. Like, we are th- not made to fly. I think the major problem is just that gap between the ground and, and the plane. Oh, yeah, it's a... <laughs> That, Huge way down. If, you know? if the plane was actually on wheels going down, <laughs> and the runway just would have problems with that, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it really is just that gap. But so, I've I've heard that actually, when you drop a, a large distance, it's only the last couple of feet that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. The the actual bit in between is actually quite pleasant. Uh huh. You know. And all these uh, uh, sense give us uh, a very, uh, how can I say, uh, creates an inability to properly understand to, the sense of risk. Yeah, the risk. The risk itself. And as as it says here in the notes, that uh, in an accident, a car accident, you're looking at one in 84. Yeah. One in 84. And uh, in a plane crash, uh, it's somewhere between one in five and one in 20,000. Yeah. But do you know what I think is also a factor that people think about is that those odds are all very good. But uh-huh. In a car, there's a, usually a maximum of three other people, right? <laughs> but in so an airplane, it, there could be 800 exactly. on a new plane. So all of a sudden, those odds, you kind of think, well, there's all these people, uh, and they think that is related to the odds as well. Yeah. How many people are in one place? Yeah. So it's weird. Right? Yes. But again, it's an irrationality, and we have great difficulty getting beyond it, don't we? Yeah, just lead us to do very uh, harmless, to see harmless activities yeah. to be overrated as more dangerous than actually the dangerous one. We pass them yeah, off. That's right. And in fact, this um, it is well known that we have uh, great difficulty in actually assessing risk. Oh yeah, as individuals, even in a- Carlos Castaneda, in one of his books, 
he talks about this, mm-hmm. you know, when a person loses the fear or loses this uh, sight of the danger, mm. it becomes even more dangerous. <laughs> Absolutely. Because then you go w- without any... Yeah. Uh, no fear, right? No fear, no no common sense there. Mm. And you just go for whatever and then that's mm. when bad things happen. Yeah. I I can see that. So what have we got next? Now we have o- observational selection bias. Ah, that is interesting. This is the... Um, this is the effect, shall we say, of suddenly noticing things that we didn't notice before uh-huh. uh, or we didn't seem to like pay attention to. Uh, but for some reason, we assume it's happening more often. Uh, uh-huh. A perfect example is, which is true, actually, <laughs> yeah. uh, and this actually applies to many things, uh, but an example is uh, you buy a new car, you think you've made your unique decision, uh-huh. and then you drive the damn thing out the car showroom and what do you see literally as the next car coming the other way is the, the same, same car, car even the same color <laughs> that's right and it, isn't it the same isn't it the same as and i deliberately i'm aware of this it's like you go into a shop and you yeah. buy something because you think it's a bargain and then what i do is i then deliberately avoid looking in any other shops <laughs> because it's happened so many times that i think i've bought a bargain I walk out of the shop, and literally the next shop will come to it's cheaper in that shop. Oh, yeah, that and happens yet, a lot. And yet I'll swear that I looked in that shop. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like, you've seen that film, The Adjustment Bureau. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's almost as if somebody's come along and actually, you know, just done it to wind me up. So how else does that, um, how else does that uh, show itself? Well, pregnant women. <laughs> Suddenly, they start to notice oh, the pregnant all women. the pregnant women. Right. When probably before, just escapes your uh, vision. Yeah. It's almost like your attention's being focused. Isn't you it? filter yeah. what you are seeing. Well, you know, there's this uh, there's this uh, fairly well developed theory now that uh, most of the time we're just going through life in a complete daydream. Yeah, and that the amount of actual real attention that we're paying. To what is going on is tiny, uh-huh. and, and actually, this I think is also a lot influenced by that cognitive uh, bias, right, or dissonance as well. Yeah, uh, it has a lot of to do because when you have already the belief in something or you are tied into something, mm. and you disregard, you also start to disregard the observational part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there's that, and the um, this thing, uh, as it says in the notes about that when you start to notice these things, you then start to think irrationally that this can't be a coincidence. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's some, there's some planning going on in the background. <laughs> Conspiracy theory. <laughs> That's right. You can, just, you can just imagine it, can't you? Anyway, so what have we got next? Now we have status quo. Not, not the band, right? No, not the band. This is not a preference for status quo over uh, somebody else. No, 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 no. So, we humans have all this tendency of apprehensive of change. Yes. And we have seen this everywhere. Well, we've all experienced it. I think, yes. So, it always leads us to make choices that is going to be for certain that we keep always in the same path. Minimum change. We are afraid of change. Yes. I have this experience with somebody, something like this, Mm -hmm. a human resources person. Right. Anti-technology person. <laughs> no. 
so she's in his in her his her you're right <laughs> uh, damn it bias you didn't mean to yeah, say that yeah I didn't mean to say that <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, the thing is anything new that would make her job be easier yeah she cannot take it she cannot it get changes it on board. her routine of doing things right. and she feels that by doing things in this way which will be easier mm. she will be less uh, useful less busy Oh. That so represents her job as so, well. Well, so actually, in a way, though, that is her justifying. Exactly. So that's a combination of all those, actually. Yeah. So she is actually justifying this irrational behavior yeah. with these kinds of thinking. But certainly... Uh, I also said she, is... then. Sorry about that. Okay. This person. <laughs> this person. Yeah. It's... Practically, it's exactly this. We are afraid of changes. Mm. And we try to always do things mm. that will result with the same outcome and not change anything. But you can imagine this is also kind of Darwinian survivalist stuff, isn't it? Because, yeah, yeah. Because obviously you don't want it living in your cage. Yeah. In your cave, sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, you prefer having figured out how to... Uh, trap a saber-toothed tiger that you'll be able yeah. to carry on doing that and that they won't learn how to throw rocks at you or something. Right? Yeah, I was checking uh, in the notes this very <laughs> very good phrase. Yeah. If, ain't, if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix, fix it. it. Right? And I, <laughs> we all use that, right? Yeah, and then, one, one moment or another, we have used it. Absolutely. And yeah. obviously, it is a truism, as they say, that yeah. that is perfectly fine. It's when... It becomes irrational that uh, that it becomes uh-huh. a problem, right? And some people, uh, here's this in the notes, uh, say that this is why in the U.S. hasn't been able to enact universal health care, despite the fact that most individuals support the idea of reform. Yeah, change, right? The change. unknown. The unknown. Yes. So, yeah, this next one is uh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is negativity bias. Uh-huh. And it's basically, uh, this is, um, I don't think it quotes it here, but I think it could be summed up in the uh-huh. phrase, uh, good news sells, uh, bad news sells newspapers. Right? Of course, yeah. Uh, because people, on the whole, seem to tend towards believing bad news than good news, yeah. well, which is yeah. strange, actually. Actually, uh, I remember uh, also reading something like that, that actually newspapers and news were born exactly because of the bad news. Right. They need to spread the bad news. <laughs> that good news really gets spread. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, suppose, I suppose you could say that good news, you could say that good news is harmless. And that's why they say that Bad news travels fast. Yeah, whereas bad news could actually affect uh, you in a negative way. Uh huh. Whereas being affected in a positive way. So imagine middle age, uh, you know. uh, It's not going to get personal, this conversation. You have sending somebody to send the bad news to your town because, you know. Send an old person. Yes. So it's something like this. That's why probably people get more attracted to the bad news because those are the ones that create the most. most effects, Effect. I think, right? Yeah. So, um, I do think that um, probably, again, this is a, a survival thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
it's kind of Darwinian socialism or something uh, that uh, obviously the outbreak of war, the announcement of the outbreak of war is probably more directly relevant to you than the outbreak of peace in another uh-huh. country, shall we yeah. say. Um, <laughs> there was an example of news, very yeah. interesting, good versus bad. Mm. Saber-tooth tiger's sock versus this berry tastes good. <laughs> the negative one is going to get more yeah. views and impact than the very tastes yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I, I, read, <laughs> I read a similar thing many, many years ago, which was um, that if we had media, print media or news media, around the time when uh, uh, allegedly Jesus Christ was on the earth and he was doing miracles and all this stuff, uh-huh. if... Uh, there was this uh, parable or something or whatever it was where Jesus was seen to walk on water, right? He yeah. was seen to be able to walk on water. If we'd have had media around at the time, the headline would have been, Jesus can't swim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. So, you know, forget forget the miracle. Let's <laughs> yes. concentrate on the fact that... He cannot swim. He it, has to walk on the water. He has to walk on the water. He can't swim. Right, yeah. it's you know it's ridiculous. So yeah. there you go. And then we have the bandwagon bandwagon effect. effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This one, most of the times, we don't we're not conscious about it. Yeah, and but we love to go with the flow of the crowd because we don't want to stand out. Right? Exactly, right? because that would make you stand out completely, yeah. and then you feel there was a very interesting experiment of people. In a waiting uh, for the doctor. Oh, yeah. So they put, everybody were actors or part of the experiment, mm. and one lady was a normal client, patient. Unsuspecting yes. individual. Yes, so they put an alarm to be uh, ringing every 30 minutes. Right. Or every 15 minutes. I don't remember another time, but well, it was ringing a certain time. Regular. Regularly. When the alarm was ringing, mm. all the... All the other people were standing up and then sitting down. And the woman that I was... Like that already. Yeah. She was watching and was like, what happened? And after two times that happened this, mm. she started to stand up. Huh. Following them. Following them. Then she stayed. All the actors left. Mm. And other person new, completely new without it, arrived. Who was not an actor. Not an actor. Mm-hmm. And then the alarm was ringing and she kept on. She carried on. Carried on. And the other person looked weird. And by the second time, yeah. also started to stand up. And like this, every other person coming yeah. started to follow the same trend. So it's like an infection, right? This is, this is yeah. social memes, right? Yeah. A meme is a viral idea, right? So this bandwagon effect, yeah. often it causing uh, behaviors, social norms, yeah. and things to propagate among yeah. Groups of individuals. Now, again, in this book I'm reading, yeah. I came across a similar one to this, which was a bunch of people, similar thing, bunch of people in an experiment, uh-huh. but only one of them was actually an actual subject and the rest were actors. And basically they were given uh, sheets of pa- a sheet of paper or sheets of paper, and basically the sheets of paper had lines drawn on them, uh, like three lines or something, and the fourth line was thicker than the other three lines. So they were just drawn in parallel. Uh-huh. And then basically they were asked a question, which line is thicker? Right? 
And basically all the actors who were acting like subjects, they all agreed a different line was thicker than the one that was actually thicker. So they picked a different one. And the actual test subject agreed with them rather than disagree with them. Uh-huh. It's the same kind of thing, right? Yeah. Not wanting to stand out from the crowd. So. Yes. Well, let's uh, now do the la- last one. Okay. Because there are a lot more. Oh, yes. And we will now mention the book for you to we should, yeah. check it. And the last one is the anchoring effect. Uh-huh. Also known as the relativity, I mean, I need to raise the relativity trap. <laughs> because this is the tendency we have to compare and yeah. contrast uh, only a very limited set of uh, items. Because that's all we're capable of, actually. Right? Yeah. So, uh, we tend to fixate on, the, on a value or number that uh, in turn gets compared to everything else. Right, 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 right. And a very common example of this is the store that's on sale. Right. You were saying exactly something like this. Yeah. We tend to see the value, the difference in price, but not the overall price itself. Right. So basically everything else could be very expensive and the thing we wanting to buy could be discounted, but is actually in itself expensive. Exactly. But because we just compare it with the other items, we think it's a bargain. Yeah, exactly. And just because it says discount. <laughs> just because it says discount. And in fact, th- uh, there's another study been done around this about the colour of the ink that they use for discount labels. Yeah. And it's been found that if discount labels are red ink, uh-huh. print, you know, font, uh, those are more believed than if they're in a different color or the same color as a normal as the regular one. price. Yeah, exactly. Just the color affects how you view the price. Uh huh. Which is like, how do how have we survived this long? How <laughs> <Yeah. Our> civilization <laughs> and humans? How have we got to this yeah. point? It's no wonder we're in such a mess, right? <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, book. The book. I've, Go ahead. I've kept going on about this book. It's a very good book. Um, it won the, uh, I think, 2015 or 16 uh, Science Book of the Year in its category. It's called The Art of Thinking Clearly, Better Thinking, Better Decisions by Rolf Dobelli. He's a scientist or a professor or whatever. And basically, it is about cognitive bias. Um, it's about a hundred very short chapters. Each one is a bias. Uh-huh. And effectively, although they don't always call them biases, sometimes they're fallacies and all this yeah. stuff. Uh, and uh, what I quite like about the book is the there's an example in every chapter or more than one example. And they also, at the end of each little short chapter, give you the alternate names for some of the, so like, um, the confirmation bias is also the dissonance yeah. thing, and it gives uh-huh, you others. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a very clear book, and I can assure you it will make you doubt every decision you've ever made in your life, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. So thoroughly recommended, and we've got a link yes. at the end of the program. That's it about cognitive bias. There we go. If you like the topic, share also your thoughts with us. Please do. On Facebook. But think carefully on... about it before you say anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because it could be biased. It could well be biased. (laughs) I know we are. Yeah. And uh, finally this week, we're going to have a little conversation about something that we all 
take for granted. Yeah. Uh, and that is light. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, you know, one of those things that uh, changed the face of civilization, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we take it for granted now that yeah. you switch a light and uh-huh. and the room's bathed with light and the darkness is banished. But Probably the only moment when you worry about the light is when you have to pay for it. Absolutely. Yeah, but that's related to what we're going to talk about. Exactly, because what is interesting is that um, some work was done uh, a few years ago by a uh, professor, Professor Nordhaus. Um, sorry, he's an economist and a professor, uh, William Nordhaus, in the mid-90s. And what he did was he took a very interesting kind of view of light, which was um, if you define a unit of work, like mm-hmm. 60 hours of work, mm-hmm. what would that uh, get you? And then the kind of corollary of that is... Um, if that amount of work, shall we say, if you take a certain amount of light time, that is providing illumination for an amount of fixed amount of time, how much labor do you have to do to to pay for it? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that if we just look back at the history of shall we say, man-made light, we, yeah. st- we start with fire, right? Yes, the first one. Very inefficient, mm-hmm. uh, but at least you can cook your dinner on it as well, which is always good. <laughs> yes, it has double function. Uh, it's there. double function. Actually triple. Tri- heat. Heat. Yeah. And actually, you're right. Actually, as well, as time has gone by, light has become more and more specialised, doesn't it? So mm-hmm. it has gone from multifunction to absolutely... Highly specialized. Specialized, isn't it? yeah. A light for every occasion, right? Uh-huh. So anyway, we started with uh, with burning fires, and then I think it's around, is it around 5,000 years ago or something? Yes, yeah, something uh, so like that. It's around that. We got uh, oil lamps, the first oil lamps. Around 3,000 was oil lamps? Wasn't it 3,000 BC? BC. Yeah, it was BC. Yeah. So we started out with these pot oil lamps that look a bit like a... a, a those things you keep a genie in. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and then what came after that was uh, candles. Um, yeah. Not too long after that. And then as we went forward, of course, we had gas and then we had electricity. We had the early incandescent light bulbs. And now here we are in these um, modern times and we have solid state lights or LED lights, as they're uh-huh. generally called. And we had the little bit in between of fluorescent lighting, mm-hmm. which, which went through many modifications. Yeah. Anyway, let's get right down to it. So what has happened over that uh, several thousand years is that the cost of a unit of light mm-hmm. has dropped by a factor of 500,000. So in today's uh, money, shall we say, uh-huh. um, to... Uh, produce a thousand lumen hours of light costs, or rather takes, a modern person uh, a fraction of a second to earn that the money required to pay. Yes, for it. compared to fire or candles, that would require huge labor. 
like uh, 60 hours of work for yeah. like three hours of light. Yeah, crazy stuff, right? Yeah. So it's amazing how something we take for granted as, and it's kind of in the background. We don't really notice it anymore because it's just a given, right? Mm-hmm. But as you go back in time, providing light was more and more and more labor intensive right back to yeah. the fire. So really that is our, our, and finally today's, when you switch on that light today or tonight, think about everything that's happened to get us to that point mm-hmm. where you don't even think about it. Or you can think that uh, your work right now mm. or this electricity can last you around 52 years. Yeah, that's right. You're correct. <laughs> so something something like a 60 hours of labor today will buy you 50 plus years of life. Of life. At current prices, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. So we're going to leave you with that. Yes. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for very much for listening. Yeah. Thank if you, you like it, share it. Please. Tell your friends about it, about mm. the rabbit hole. We Let- know where you live. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we don't know where you live, but... But we could make you but we could. feel biased already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Start worrying now. Yeah. So, get in touch with us. Share your comments. Go to the Facebook. You know, if you want, give us a rate. Please. On iTunes. Yeah. So... Or a gift. See, yeah, exactly. See you next week, Carl. Yeah, see you next week, Rafa. See you. A pleasure. Next week, my name is Rafael Ruiz. And I'll talk to you, and we will talk to you, actually. We will indeed. Down the rabbit hole. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved, Dark Mind Radio 2017.